0: Hebrews 11, here we go. Thank you, Caroline. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see.
1: It's a relief for everyone to remember on Father's Day that our children have a heavenly Father who cares for our children and yet we still know that God entrusts and expects dads to nurture and encourage and care and train and comfort our kids and bring them up in the knowledge of the Lord. One of the things that the dads and mums know that they have to do in, in raising their children is teach the kids not to give up sorry? I'm not on mute. I am not on mute. It's just not on. Okay, let's go again. Do I need to start again? No. Okay. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Okay. um, So parents need to teach their kids how not to give up. So you know the test you can do with a child. You sit them down, you hold out two hands, in this one is one lolly, in this hand is three lollies, uh, are three lollies, plural, uh, and, you, and you say, well, which, which hand do you want? You can have one or the other. If you have the one lolly, you don't have to wait, you get it straight away, but with this one, you get three lollies, but you have to sit quietly and wait for three minutes before you get them and you get to choose a reward, so what's it going to be? Now what you're teaching there is delayed gratification, so important in life, right? Or in Bible speak, endurance. And of course endurance is so important, to achieve almost anything requires endurance. You can't gain a skill overnight, you can't gain a qualification overnight, you can't become an expert in a field overnight, you can't get better from a sickness and recover from an injury overnight. It takes time. All of us in life need to learn how to endure. And the same applies in our walk with Christ. Uh, To claim the heavenly reward, you, you have to keep going. You have to endure, don't you? Now, we're up to chapter 11 in Hebrews, working our way through it. Chapter 10, last week, finishes by telling us you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what's promised. Chapter 12, the chapter after, just opens with encouragement to run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Chapter 11's in the middle, sandwiched between two exhortations to persevere. It's about enduring this chapter. So through life's diversions, distractions, disappointments, challenges, and griefs, we've gotta keep going. You don't give up. Now, how do you do it? Well, just seeing other people who've endured is really helpful. Monday mornings, I love Monday mornings. 10.30, I meet at a cafe in Stirling with the amazing greys, right? Terry, Gary, Ellis. Ellis doesn't have grey hair, but we let him in. Napier, John. These are all brothers in the Lord who are older than I am who've not given up. This is a great encouragement for me just to meet with these guys who've, who've endured and keep going. Or like when you happen upon someone who, you know, you remember from decades before, you used to be in church together, you'd started the Christian life together, and you happen upon each other after radio silence for decades, and, and you say, how are you doing? They say, still loving Jesus. Now that, That is immensely encouraging, isn't it, to you? They've endured. And so, no surprise, our chapter today on really endurance is packed full of example after example of people who've endured in faith and they have won the heavenly prize. How did they endure? Well, after the first verse being read out, you might think faith. That's what this chapter is about. But if you were listening carefully, you would have worked out it's not just about faith. There's something else. There's a second essential ingredient to endurance, and that is hope. They also had hope because of what was promised to them. Now, when you think about it, this makes sense. Faith and hope always go together. Go back to the child example. The child who has to wait three minutes to get the lolly. They wait, they endure, because of the hope held out for them. And they have a sure hope because it's been promised to them, right? And so they put their faith in the promised hope and that teaches them to endure. And when you realise that, you see that in each example, the people had faith, yes, but they had faith because of their hope in what was unseen at the time, but especially they had faith when that hope was promised to them. Now, our hope is described in verse 35 towards the end as a better resurrection, which we're going to get to. But first, we need. Uh, to see what this chapter is teaching us about faith. And there are a couple of points there, they're on your outline. The first thing to understand about faith is that faith is living today, living today with God's promised hope as our primary reality. Faith is living today with God's promised hope as our primary reality. Look at verse one which describes faith in terms of our hope. It says, now faith, Is confidence in what we hope for, what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Now what we hope for are things we can't see yet, but even though we can't see them, that doesn't mean they're fairy tales, it doesn't mean they're something we've dreamed up. These are things that have been promised to us by God, or maybe they come out, um, they're things that we hope for because of of God and who he is and what we know of him. The hope is sure because it is God who's made the promise, not the fairy godmother or something like that. And God, we know, always keeps his word, which when you think about it, makes what we hope for far more real, far more certain than anything we can see and touch now. Because we know what we see and touch now, it's all real, right? But it's not certain. You don't know what's going to happen today. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to last. But if God has promised us something, something we can hope for, it's more certain, more real, more substantial, more permanent than anything we can see or touch now, which fades away, which means faith is living today with God's promised hope as our primary reality. So what's your primary reality? What's what's the thing that you live for? For most people, it's their life now that they can see and touch. Or maybe something that you're working towards in the near future, um, a project, um, a relationship, a, a goal. What is it about you? What's your primary reality? What's what gets you up out of bed in the morning? God in his word points us to something greater than what we can see and touch. Faith is living today with God's promised hope as our primary reality, even though what God's promised us is unseen. But because our hope is promised to us by God, it's more sure, more real, more substantial than anything we can see or touch. It's always been that way for men and women of faith. Verse two, we're told this is what the ancients were commended for. And now we're going to begin going through the list and we're going to see this truth born out. They live. Their current lives with their promised hope as their primary reality, not what's just in front of them. That's what faith meant for them. And we're meant to see this in all their examples, but where does faith start? Let's find out. Thank you.
0: assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him.
1: Okay, so in verse three, faith for everyone starts by believing that God is real and that the one who is unseen is the mighty creator of all things. Now. Some people say, oh, I don't believe that, I believe in science. This is a category error, <laughs> okay. Science can answer some questions, um, can ask um, you know, the what question, but it can't answer the why or the how question. Uh, if you say, I believe in science and the Big Bang, excellent, who started it? You can't answer that by science. So science is limited, right? Um, Everyone knows, intuitively, deep down, when you look at the glory and the complexity of the creation and you wonder, you're filled with wonder. You know that in your heart, it bears the imprint of a mighty creator God. Faith starts by acknowledging this. It starts here, by believing that God is real. Believing in an all-powerful God who creates visible things out of invisible things. And that's a very important consideration of things we hope for which we've not yet seen. Okay, that's not impossible if God creates visible out of invisible, right? So faith begins there, then we move on to the next step. If faith starts by believing in an unseen God, the creator of all, then faith really gets its legs by believing that God is, sorry, that pleasing God is life's great purpose and joy. Science can tell you that you exist, it can't tell you why you exist. Why do you exist? Well, guess what? You exist to please God. This is your life's purpose and your life's joy. That's what made Abel's sacrifice better than that of Cain. Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, offered two sacrifices meat, grains. It's not that the Lord loves meat more than grains. It says that Abel's sacrifice was better. Now perhaps it was better because he offered the best of what he could offer. Or perhaps it was his heart motivation, a sacrifice gladly given instead of one grudgingly given. Maybe it was both. It was the best and given cheerfully. Whatever it was that made Abel's sacrifice better, it must have been made out of a desire to please God, the one whom Abel couldn't see. And yet, pleasing him was Abel's purpose in life. Same with Enoch, one of only two people in the Bible who never died, Enoch and Elijah. Elijah. Well done, went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Enoch was no more because God took him away. Genesis chapter five, why did God take him away? We're told because Enoch was walked faithfully with God all his life, and it was a long life. In other words, even though Enoch could not see God, Enoch's daily goal was to please God. Now that is faith. You live for hundreds of years trying to please someone you haven't seen. That's faith. I was rewarded. That's why we're told without faith, verse six, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let those words sink in. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you believe that? Think, hang on, what about my moral non-Christian friends who I know? Okay. Well, you might be the most moral person on earth but deny the existence of God. Uh, That is not pleasing to God. Why, because God is, isn't just concerned about you. he's not an impersonal kind of law keeper, law you know, judge or something like this. He is personal, he's our personal creator. He made us in his image to live for him in relationship with him and that is pleasing to God but to do that requires faith to believe that he is real and faith to believe that pleasing him is life's great purpose and great joy. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Which means that next point about faith. Faith means obeying God today because we believe his word about the future. Thank you, Caroline. Verse seven, yeah.
0: By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore.
1: Thank you, and just one, one more verse. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, in Noah's own lifetime, he would have been the butt of people's jokes. Um, he, he still is. Growing up, I remember my dad used to play a Bill Cosby record, which had a skit where, um, about Noah, and um, Bill Cosby was sending up Noah, God says to Noah, you know, hey, Noah, you've got two two male hippos going in there. You've got to take out one and replace them. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. Noah, how long can you tread water? Ha, 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 ha. All right, (laughs) it's still going in my head. Reading between the lines of Genesis 6, which is the story, commentators estimate that God first warned Noah of the flood about 120 years before the flood happened. And that it was for 70 years, give or take, that he was building the ark. 70 years, imagine that, building an ark for 70 years. You can imagine the ridicule, what are you doing Noah? Building an ark, why? Because God told me a long time ago, that he was going to destroy the world by water. You're a lunatic. What a joke. In 2 Peter we're told Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached to people, warning them of the judgment to come. No doubt he urged people to repent, turn back to God. Hebrews says, by faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So faith, meant Noah obeying God in his life in the present because he believed God's word about the future. Same with Abraham. Abraham didn't know of God. He he hadn't heard of God. Most likely he was an Iraqi sun worshiper. Okay, but then God spoke to him, picked him out. And and the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And so Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He left his people, imagine that, he left the whole life he knew. He left the language of his people, the country he knew, the home he knew, because he believed what God told him in the future would happen. So faith means obeying God today because we believe God's word about the future. Now God has told us about the future. He's given us his word on the future. He's told us about the plan for the nations to hear the gospel. He's told about the the certain return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has told us that there is a coming day of judgment. He's told us that Jesus will sit on his throne and rule the world righteously. He's told us that death and Satan will be defeated once and for all. He's told us there will be a new heavens and a new earth, an eternal city, the new Jerusalem, the home of righteousness. If that is true, that should be our primary reality, shouldn't it? Because that is, it's God who's made this promise. It's going to happen. If we have God's word about the future, that should shape our lives now. Like Abraham, who who never owned a plot of land in the the land that he was promised, except the burial plot for his wife, Sarah. He never built a house, he had to live in tents. But he stayed because he believed God's word about the future, that the land would one day belong to his his descendants. Same with Isaac, same with his grandson, Jacob. But here's the astounding thing. Abraham didn't just believe God's word about the land that was promised to him. He saw that promise, which didn't come true in his own lifetime, as a sign of something better. A city with foundations, we're told, whose architect and builder is God. I find that extremely interesting. He knew that because God's promise could not be fulfilled in his own lifetime, for that promise to have traction for himself it must point, something, point to something more substantial, more real, more primary. If it didn't happen in his own life, it must be beyond death. Which brings us to the next point. Faith means seeing God's promised hope beyond death as primary. Hebrews 11 verse 13 to 22. Thank you.
0: All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones.
1: Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, each of them in the actions described of them saw God's promised hope beyond death as primary. Think of Abraham, the test of faith he had to go through and what enabled him to do it. Genesis 22 so, one of the most astounding moments in scripture. God tells him, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Whoa. Now that raises a whole lot of questions which we don't have time to cover here, but on Father's Day, you can imagine. So, Marin's doing a PhD on uh, these early chapters of Genesis, so be good to pick her brain afterwards, <laughs> or, or mine, that's fine. But uh, Maran's done a whole lot of thinking on this. It's astounding that Abraham does it. And it's only after he's bound his son Isaac on the altar, you can just imagine that, and he's raising his hand to kill him with his knife that God stops him. Now what enabled Abraham to go through with almost sacrificing his son? That question grows more acute when we realize what's at stake. It's not just the life of his son Isaac, is it? Because God had told Abraham, that all the nations would be blessed through him and that Isaac was the child of the promise, so what's at stake now is God's blessing to the nations, which he means God's eternal blessing of us, right? You and me. That was at stake, hanging there in this action. And yet, God gives Abraham this test and he's prepared to go through with it, how? Well, Hebrews says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead And again, that's very interesting because you and I think that's strange because when I read the story in Genesis 22, the words resurrection or raising the dead just don't appear. But then you read the story and you slow down and you think on how it's told and what is there is Abraham's prior comment to his servants whom he leaves down the bottom of the mountain. He says, stay here while I and the boy go over there we will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, assuming Abraham's not just deliberately telling a furphy to get himself out of an awkward moment with his servants, what was he thinking? He believes God's word to him that Isaac will be the child of promise. And yet now God has told him to sacrifice Isaac. So the only way both can be true and Isaac remained the child of promise, though sacrificed, is if God raises him from the dead. And so real was that necessary outcome for Abraham that he was prepared to go through with it. This is the first reference, if you like, to resurrection in the Bible. Faith means seeing God's promised hope beyond death as primary. That is what Isaac, Jacob, Joseph also believed. Their most promised primary reality that they hoped for existed beyond death it wasn't in their life and that impacted their life enormously and that gave them courage courage verses 23 to 31 here we go
0: by faith Moses parents hit him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the, the king's anger He persevered, because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell, sorry. No, keep going. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gain what was promised. Thank you, okay.
1: So what comes out here is that faith lives courageously today for what God will bring about in the future, courage. Courage in the present comes from faith in the future. Um, When we read the story of the baby Moses and we think it, it, it must have only been out of desperation that Moses' poor mother hid him, but no, we're told She saw that he was no ordinary child. Now contained within that description is an assumption that she knew that God had plans for Moses. That faith gave her courage. She wasn't wasn't afraid of Pharaoh's edict, which is astounding. She hid him at great risk to her and the rest of the family because she believed that God would use her son to bring about his plans in the future. Faith created courage. Moses, as well, grown to be the prince of Egypt, courageously, he left the palace. He didn't fear Pharaoh's anger. He chose to side with God's people who were being mistreated rather than enjoy the comforts of of Egypt's palace life. Why? Because he was looking forward to his reward. Now, that was extremely wise, right? Why do I say that? Well, because he entered the promised land. No, he didn't enter the promised land. He actually never got to go in. But do you remember when Jesus went up a mountain and he was transfigured into his heavenly glory? And who was it who appeared with him on the mountain? It was Moses. He received his reward, you see. Um, Moses' faith created courage to keep the Passover. He believed God's word that through the Passover, God would bring deliverance from the angel of death and from Pharaoh in one night. And then there was the Red Sea. You remember Moses' courage at that point. You can imagine it. So there they are, Israel's made their way down. Then there's the sea in front of them. And they look back over their their shoulders and Pharaoh's soldiers are coming down in chariots. The plume of dust is going up. They are totally freaked out. They think it's going to be a genocide. And what does Moses do? He says, stand still and see the Lord fight for you. Courage, right? And then he leads them into the waters of the Red Sea and they pass through on dry ground. Faith lives courageously today for what God will bring about in the future. And finally, faith endures whether we receive what's promised in our own life now or we don't. Verse 32 to 40.
0: And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the fames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, Destitute, persecuted and mistreated, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. All these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Because God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect.
1: Thank you. So faith, finally, we're told faith endures whether we receive what's promised in our life now or or we don't. Faith endures despite what happens. We haven't got time to go through all the examples, but basically they cluster into two groups. The first group receive in their life at least part of what God has promised them. You might say they had a direct experience of hope fulfilled in their lives. Right, their prayers are answered. The second group didn't. Were they defective in faith? No. And we're meant to see that faith exists in both groups. And so come what may for you or for me, we're just to have faith. All right. So Daniel, in the first group, he was thrown into a lion's den and God shut the mouths of the lions. We rem- remember that, Daniel chapter 5. Isaiah, in the second group, we're told in sources outside the Bible that during the reign of evil King Manasseh, Isaiah was sawn in two. Hebrews refers to those who were sawn in two. It's probably Isaiah. What happened was he was chased by the king's soldiers. Um, There was a persecution on the Lord's prophets and he was chased, and he hid in a hollow tree, and the king ordered the tree to be cut down, with Isaiah still in it. Now, was that because Isaiah had less faith than Daniel did? Not at all. But because our hope in God, you see, looks beyond death as our primary reality, our faith will not give up if we don't receive in our life what we've been promised because we will receive it beyond death. Some women, we're told, received their dead back to life. They were in the first group. Um, These are the miracles of Elijah and Elisha, one uh, one and two kings. They bring dead sons of grieving mothers back to life. But others were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection promised in Jesus. Um, Persecution still happens. I think of the growing Christian church in Afghanistan who after the US left, they were targeted converts from Islam who'd become Christians were specifically the targets of the Taliban who, just, who searched for them from house to house. And if you had a Bible app on your phone, you were dead. Or people I know in Myanmar, forced from their homes, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, hiding in caves, hiding in holes in the ground. Still happens. It's mentioned here. It still happens. Hebrews says, the world is not worthy of them. Faith endures, whether we receive what's promised or not in this life, because it looks beyond. The reason many Old Testament saints didn't receive what was promised was, here's the intriguing thing, we're told at the end, so that together with us, they would be made perfect. In other words, God has a better resurrection, a bigger resurrection in mind than just the deliverance of one or two people he has on view the resurrection of the dead, the righteous who will meet Christ in the air. That then God will bring them and us, the saints of old, with us together. And then everything that we have hoped for, all that God has promised, we will experience together. That is the hope. Now today is Father's Day, so. Ladies, you'll forgive me this application. Just indulge me today. Men, if God has blessed you and made you a dad, and it doesn't happen for all men, and other men, single men, you're still blessed, or childless, you're still blessed. But if in your life God has given you children Then your kids, and indeed your adult children, look to you to be the example in their life of endurance and faith. They look naturally to you. And then you think, how can I do it? How, how, How can we do it? I want to tell you that hope is the key cultivating your hope, that'll keep you going. Having God's promised hope as your hope, as your primary reality, the thing you live for, the thing that energises you, the thing that you speak about, the thing that you pray about in regards to your kids. Um when you think about what you pray for your kids, what ultimately matters. Well, what I pray for my children is that God would raise them from the dead. And I pray that God would fill them with his Holy Spirit. Your hope will sustain your faith and your kids are looking to you to be examples in their lives. Um, so we need to ask, of course, what's our primary reality? And I hope that Hebrews 11 has reminded you of what your primary reality is. And I'm saying dwell on it and make it, make it your primary reality. Sometimes, of course, um, we can get distracted. Sometimes, Father's Day message, sometimes our primary reality can be our children. Um, but the kids, of course, look to us to see a different reality, because they know life's, I mean, sorry, they think that life's all about them, but they know that there's something greater and they need to see it. So we can't make our kids our primary reality. We can't live our lives through them because God has planned something better, something bigger, something more permanent, something more wonderful. What they need even more than your care of them is that your primary reality is not them, but God's promised hope, a hope that goes beyond death, the better resurrection found in Jesus. And I'm gonna finish with Jesus. Hebrews 11 has gone right through the Old Testament and has picked up lots of examples. But another study could look at the examples and see in what way their faith mirrors that of Jesus. Abel offered a better sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice is better we Could go through. But the list of people actually ends with Jesus. It doesn't end at the chapter 11, it ends in the first few verses of chapter 12, where we get to Jesus. He is the key to enduring. And I want to say to everyone, <laughs> whether you're father uh, or not, uh, whether you're a man or a woman, boy or a girl, that our heavenly Father's gift to us on Father's Day is to put before us his Son, Jesus, who is the key to enduring. Um, Because as wonderful as it's been to remember the faith of those who've gone before us, it's Jesus himself who is our greatest example. And dads, if you are feeling inadequate because you realize you haven't been the best example of faith, It's Jesus actually who our Heavenly Father is pointing our children now to as the great example. Um, I want to finish by reading the opening verses from Hebrews 12. This is our Heavenly Father's words to us on Father's Day about his son. Hebrews 12 says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, I hope beyond death you see, scorning its shame and sat down then at the right hand of the throne of God. He made it. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you in your race, you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Amen. 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 Father in heaven, may it be so. Please, uh, may the hope of what you've promised us and Jesus' example sustain us. For all the dads out there, uh, our collective prayer is that you'd strengthen them to be examples of faith. May they live for what you've promised. And for the rest of us, help us to follow their imperfect example but jesus perfect example more importantly and we thank you so so much for what you've taught us in the lives of those who've gone before us thank you that we don't exist in isolation we stand on the faith of men and women who've gone before us centuries ago and who are cheering us on thank you and may we all make it and endure in faith in jesus name amen